0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: The Trump administration is trying to make a change to immigration policy that would accomplish what we've been told has been happening all along that there are no public charges who are coming into this country. We'll break down why the Libs are freaking out about that. Plus, a major showdown underway between Hong Kong protesters there and the Chinese mainland government. Is this a moment where freedom will win out, or will it be crushed? We've got that plus updates on the Epstein case coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This,
2: this is The Buck Sexton, Sexton
3: Show. Sexton.
2: Where, the mission where the mission is to decode what really matters
3: with actionable intelligence. One
2: small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're
3: a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins.
0: Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member the of the NYPD, Buck Sexton.
2: It is Buck
3: Sexton. Now. Would you also agree that Emma Lazarus's words etched on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, are also part of the American ethos?
4: Uh, they certainly are. Give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. That, that plaque was put on the Statue of Liberty at almost the same time as the first public charge law was passed. Very interesting timing.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, where we talk about things that actually matter (laughs) instead of what the news cycle sometimes wants us all to talk about yes yes i know later on because i'm sure some of you might be a bit curious uh we are gonna have jesse kelly and sean parnell my friends uh both of them step into the thunderdome to you know two men enter one man leaves situation just kidding they love each other too uh to talk about the chris cuomo bro cuomo Getting very upset, Fredo Gate. Perhaps we could call it that now. It's the Fredo debacle that uh, stormed social media. And some of you are like, Buck, what are you talking about? I'm here to say, look, I'm, it's later on in the show. So, you know, I'll tell you about it then because it is not important. Interesting to talk. Interesting water cooler conversation. I almost said wine cooler conversation, but I haven't had one of those in a long time. Although I did try a White Claw recently producer mark do not make fun of me it was pretty good
0: it i love white claws
1: see they're pretty delicious uh, i understand it's like the new zima but it's still pretty good so everyone's focused on this tapper thing i mean not tapper thing sorry different guy cuomo thing uh where there's this video and we'll play the video for you later we'll have jesse and sean way because they have different opinions as to whether Cuomo handled this the right way. It's interesting to talk about. It doesn't really matter. What we came into at the top of the show does matter, which is the administration trying to change an important component of immigration policy. And here's the short version of it. Ken Cuccinelli is out there saying things like, we invite people to come here and join us as a privilege. Not everyone has the right to be an American. That's a very straightforward you could say very basic statement how could anyone be upset at that where's the problem with that isn't our immigration system don't we have immigration laws specifically so that we can control who comes into this country but as importantly make sure that those who are coming into this country are brought in primarily for the benefit of the people already here that America does not owe the world anything. We can make choices about how many people from the rest of the world we want to take in as immigrants. And that's why we have immigration law. This is very fundamental, very basic stuff, also very important. Because the left now has adopted a position that any restrictions of any kind on immigration, any enforcement of immigration laws is more or less rooted in white nationalism and hatred. Wow, that's been quite a shift from even the Obama years when the Obama administration was deporting hundreds of thousands of people. Now we're told that if you still think that that's a good idea, it must be because of white nationalism. The Democratic Party has gone crazy fast. And one of the ways that they've been able to go so crazy is by covering up their progression into insanity on immigration issues with lie after lie after lie and here we see yet another one where uh we have decided we are essentially going to do what the administration is claiming they're going to do what's already the law they put out a statement uh, the white house put out a statement saying the following preserving the social safety net we must ensure that non-citizens do not abuse our public benefit programs and jeopardize the social safety net needed by vulnerable americans And they have data points here. Large numbers of non-citizens and their families have taken advantage of our generous public benefits. Limited resources that could otherwise go to vulnerable Americans. 78% of households headed by a non-citizen with no more than a high school education use at least one welfare program. 58% of all households headed by a non-citizen use at least one welfare program. So almost six out of ten. And half of all non-citizen headed households include at least one person who uses Medicaid. My friends, this is already the law. It already says in our immigration statutes that you are not to, people are not allowed to be a public charge, meaning to be on the public dole if they're going to immigrate. And we're talking about legal immigrants to the country. It's not supposed to happen. This is, of course, not enforced. And what would it mean to enforce it? It would mean, okay, well, they're going to take away, they're either going to say you can't get a green card or they'll take away a green card if you continue to get public benefits. Now, this should be a pretty straightforward conversation but we're always being lied to by liberals. This is why I like talking to you about the immigration situation because I tell you the truth here about it. You're being lied to by the by the corporate mainstream media all the time on immigration, constantly. How many of you have heard? Just just think, just go back in your own memory. How many of you have heard? Oh, immigrants, they pay more in in taxes than they take out in benefits. They don't take any government benefits. They they're the ones that are we, we hear this all the time. They're the ones keeping Social Security afloat. OK, if this is true, then what's the big problem with us saying that the law, which currently says you can't be a public charge if you're going to be a legal immigrant, to the United States, what's the problem with enforcing that if all they're doing is keeping us afloat? Immigrants of all kinds, we're always told, are, are better than Americans, right? Particularly illegal immigrants. Better than Americans. That's the Democrat talking point. And I mean better by, you know, they do the jobs that Americans won't do. They pay more in taxes than they than they take out of the system and all these other things. But if you cut off their if you threaten to cut off the benefits of remember the welfare benefits, that's what we're talking about, the welfare benefits of immigrants in this country. You're a monster. Well, which is it, folks? It can't be both. We are being lied to on this issue, just like we're being lied to on so many other components of immigration. And yet. Democrats are not held responsible for all these misrepresentations, all these slogans that are just meant to be propaganda to divert the American people from really knowing what's happening. The law is currently that you cannot be a welfare case. And come into this country as an immigrant. That is what the the law is supposed to accomplish. It is obviously not doing that. And I I saw, I think it was, uh, was it, uh, I forget, I think it was David Horowitz, but I might have that, I might be confusing him with someone else, put this out on Twitter today because you know, this, this, we invite people to come here and join us as a privilege. Not everyone has a right to be an American. That's what Ken Cuccinelli said on an NPR radio show, and everyone on the left freaked out about that. And they all point to the... Uh, oh, and, and he said, quote, give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. That's the acting U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Director Ken Cuccinelli talking about this Trump administration policy and also the poem, which we're always told about this Emma Lazarus poem, uh, which is attached to the Statue of Liberty, as though that's... One of the amendments to the Constitution, it's a poem. At a tourist attraction, it does not have the force of law. It doesn't mean anything. It's for it's for school kids to look at it and hopefully memorize, so their teachers will be happy with them. That's it. But Horowitz pointed this out today. One year before Emma Lazarus's poem on the Statue of Liberty, Congress overwhel- overwhelmingly passed the Immigration Act of 1882. Barring any public charge from even stepping foot on U.S. soil and the act instructed Treasury officials section two of it that if on such examination there shall be found among such passengers any convict lunatic idiot or any person unable to take care of himself or herself without becoming a public charge such persons shall not be permitted to land. So. This whole, oh, but what about the Statue of Liberty and Nation of Immigrants all Ellis Island? Uh, I- until recently, it was just understood that we were going to accept some immigrants and not others. And is it a fair world we live in? No. Is it fair that some people are born into crappy countries and other people get born into America? No. Or even countries that are just kind of OK, but people want to be American because it's the best country. No, there, there's a lot of unfairness in the world. It's not fair that I'm not, you know, six, five and jaw-droppingly handsome there's a lot of unfairness in the world but that doesn't mean that we can abandon the rule of law because one political party feels good making a case about how oh things are unfair therefore let's just pretend that we can't make rules about these things (sighs) this is a i think this is a more important story than Anything else going on today except Hong Kong? Uh, fa- the Hong Kong protesters facing off with the Chinese government. We'll get into that in the second hour. My friend Steve Yates will be joining to discuss that. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on it, and then also we will, as I mentioned, we'll get into you know Fredo Gate, Chris Cuomo being called Fredo. I've never seen somebody in the media lose their cool as much as he did. But you know, we'll have i I'm sure you'll have different thoughts on this and opinions, and we have both sides of it, uh, Sean takes a, well, I won't spoil it. I'll let Sean Parnell and Jesse Kelly address it themselves later on. Uh, we also have some follow-up on the Epstein case for you. So a, a varied show today, going to cover a lot of ground, a lot of territory, as we always do. Um, but there's also a, another story that is in the in the realm of immigration, and more specifically, immigration and custom enforcement, customs enforcement, uh, that I bet none of you, I shouldn't say none of you, a very small percentage of you have heard about because it's not getting much media coverage at all. And it is indicative of the enormous double standard about rhetoric and leading to violent action. I will tell you what it is in just a moment. Stay with me. I just want to establish before I tell you about this uh, news story we're still getting updates on, that all last week we were told by some of the wealthiest, most prominent, biggest platformed individuals in the media and the Democratic Party, that Trump's rhetoric led to violence. That's what they were saying. It was Trump's fault what happened in El Paso. They made Dayton just fade out very quickly, didn't they? The leftists who supported Elizabeth Warren, who was all about socialist policies of one kind or another, that, that didn't really get much attention at all, did it? El Paso, though, that was Trump's fault. That was the talking point for the week. That was the narrative. That was the storyline. If you wanted to get on TV at CNN or MSNBC, just say that Trump had blood on his hands in one way or another. That's what they were saying. Was directly responsible for the violence. That was the message. That was the propaganda effort last week. Okay. How many of you have heard that in San Antonio, Texas, police had to make an arrest because somebody fired off rounds into an ICE immigration and Customs Enforcement building there. Hmm. Why isn't that getting more attention? Oh, because I wonder when they finally get to uh, question this suspect, they have one suspect in, a suspect in custody. I'm not sure if they, think they, if they know they have the right guy yet or not. Of course, everyone's presumed innocent until proven guilty. But I would wonder if this individual would say that he fired off rounds into a... It, there were people in it, by the way. There were people in the facility fired bullets through the window of a federal law enforcement building if it was because he had heard from prominent, the most prominent Democrats really in the country that ICE was operating the equivalent of Holocaust concentration camps. Because that's what AOC had said, which would make the people working for Immigration and Customs Enforcement morally on the same plane as Nazi prison guards at the concentration camps. And if somebody really believed that, and remember, they've, she's never apologized, they've doubled down on it. They haven't walked away from that unbelievably reckless, stupid slander. I wonder how many people in the country hear that and think that they are righteous if they take action against the government. There's been a series of events, folks. Washington and Washington Examiner pulled them together. You had last month, Protesters with never again block the entrances to ICE's national headquarters in Washington, D.C. Okay, block the entrance. I mean, that's not as serious as some of these other things, but it's there's an escalating effect here. In July, police in Tacoma, Washington, had to fatally shoot an armed man after he hurled Molotov cocktails at an Immigration Customs Enforcement building, trying to set the uh, propane tanks alight, I believe, blow up the building. Also in July, a group of protesters in Aurora, Colorado, took down an American flag and two other flags from outside an ICE facility, raised a Mexican flag and a defaced thin blue line flag commemorating law enforcement. This is hostility to federal law enforcement. In some cases, violent, felonious criminal hostility to federal law enforcement. Now, I just would like to know, before anything terrible does happen here, uh, is this, in fact, is this, in fact, a standard that will be applied by the Democrats on their side of things? Are, are, are we going to hear them say, you know what? AOC and the rest of these Democrats out there, including many of the Democrats who are running for president right now. They need to tone it down. They need to stop saying terrible things about immigration and customs enforcement, saying that it's inhumane, we're locking children in cages. I couldn't believe it still. Sitting on the Bill Maher show recently, I had the former governor of Michigan start shrieking at me, Kids in Cages, Kids in Cages. I wasn't even I wasn't even talking about detention at the board. I was trying to talk about paying for health care for illegal aliens. But it's just but you know, that, that, that's the point though. Is that now anytime a any time a lib hears you talk about immigration, they've just been programmed to say, Kids in cages, kids in cages OK, what about what about rule of law? What about deporting MS-13 gang members, um, health care for illegal aliens? How expensive will that be? What will how will that tax the current healthcare care system? Uh, what, what, what does it mean for for schools? And they have to devote a huge proportion of their resources to English as a second language training because of recent arrivals under the asylum rules. I mean, just normal questions you'd want to discuss in, in a society that you hope to be functional and well ordered. You look at a lot of liberal Democrats now, a lot of leftists, and they just they look at you. They say, that's a very you raise a very interesting point about what it will do if we start paying for health care for illegal aliens out of the out of the treasury, which is money taken from citizens. But kids
2: in cages, kids in cages.
1: That's all you're going to hear. That's the response. That's all they need. What's going to happen when we ask Democrats if there is a terrible incident at an ICE facility, which looks like it's just a matter of time now? What are they going to tell us if something happens? Kids in cages? I think so. Well, so first of all, I never said that uh, the raids, as you call were focused on violent criminals. I've never
4: said that. <clears throat> and also, I, I think words matter. These aren't raids. These are targeted in, uh, law enforcement operations. And in this case, this was a joint Criminal investigation with ICE and the Department of Justice targeting worksite enforcement, meaning companies that knowingly and willfully hire illegal aliens so that in most cases Mm -hmm. they can pay them reduced wages, exploit them further for their bottom line. That's what this investigation was about. A criminal investigation, Jake.
1: Mark Morgan slapping down some of Jake Tapper's propaganda there. Another another guy, you know, lives in a mansion and wants to lecture the rest of America about how we're not welcoming enough. We take in a million immigrants a year legally and are going to have close to a million illegal immigrants from just Central America alone this year. But we all need the constant lecture from the CNN, the CNN lib millionaires about how we're just not open minded enough. And it's any objection to the current immigration situation. And enforcement of the laws is based in white nationalism. Mark Morgan there is a guy who's running ICE. He, he's right. Um, or running, sorry, Customs and Border Patrol, whatever it is. Um, he's right. Words do matter. This is why I refuse to say undocumented. Although I wonder if at some point I'll be in a place where they'll, they'll just ma- mandate that I have to say it or else. That's what the libs always do. At first, it's suggested you use their terminology, and then it's you better say this or else. Just like with the pronouns, the transgender fights, all that stuff, they don't they don't leave it to your discretion. They want to control the language. Uh, but he also brought up there what I think is a very bipartisan issue of sensitivity, which is that you have these employers who are exploiting exploiting illegal aliens and paying them below what the wages are they should. And keep in mind, if they're paying them off the books, then these employers are getting a competitive advantage versus those who are legally employing individuals. And you might say, oh, Buck, well, isn't that what the market will bear? No, because guess what? All the social costs of illegal immigrants in this country, all the the things we're talking about before, being a public charge, welfare benefits, and all the rest of it, that they foist that onto the general public and they just pay them very, very low wages. And, they're, and a lot of the illegals are just happy to be here getting those wages because they know that the rest of the benefits of being in America come along with just being in America. So, I mean, to call them raids, yeah, we're, we're hearing these stories. They make it sound like ICE is you know, busting through doors with flashbangs and, you know, firing warning shots with MP5s everywhere just to, you know, freak everybody out. They're showing up as a law enforcement operation and they're saying, okay, who is here legally? Who is here illegally? We're going to enforce the law. But the liberal media cheers against law enforcement. The liberal media cheers against every aspect of law enforcement, except for investigations of Donald Trump. And those are sacrosanct. Notice the only law enforcement officials that I have heard in recent years, anybody in the elite media in favor of are those who are deep state, coup plotters against donald trump any other aspect of law enforcement local law enforcement immigration and customs enforcement you know cops border patrol libs can't stand them can't stand them think they're racist think they're bad think they're thugs just look at what warren and kamala harris said about about officer wilson up in Ferguson, formerly of the Ferguson Police Department, had to leave his job, lying about him being a murderer, just pandering, just pandering. But that's what we expect from Libs. Lots and lots of pandering. By the way, uh, as an aside here, I just wanted to say welcome to uh, one of our newest affiliates here, WRAW in Reading, Pennsylvania. So if you're listening on WRAW, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to Team Buck. Welcome to the freedom hut now i did tell you all that later on in the show we would address is it fredo gate or cuomo gate or whatever we're calling it now which is it's fun to talk about although it's not an important story we're going to spend the next hour much more in depth on hong kong china steve yates who he's a mandarin speaker spent a ton of time in china and taiwan and uh, as well, and he was a policy expert in this region for many many years, working for the government. So you know, he's someone that I think you you should hear from on this. But later on in the show, we will get into what happened with with uh, Chris Cuomo. Um, I did want to just before we get there, I'll play the clip for you where he's going completely bonkers on this guy that accosted him in public, which is not cool. But we do have. The, the whole uh, problem was they called him Fredo. They called uh, Chris Cuomo, br- a brother of New York's governor, um, Andrew Cuomo. The guy who talks like this on this show is his brother. Don't call my little brother Fredo. It makes him very, very mad, which means, of course, we're all going to call him Fredo now. But. There's this dispute over whether or not it's an ethnic slur to call an Italian person Fredo. Here's the problem. CNN uses the term Fredo on air to make fun of people for being the wayward family member quite frequently. Play clip two.
2: Fredo is from the
0: Godfather. He was a weak brother. Isn't that your And they use though? it as an Italian excursion. Okay. Any of you Italian? Are you I got, Italian? I got a little it's a okay. insult to your people. It's an insult to your People. it's like the n-word for us he, <laughs> i mean he kind of makes don jr out to be fredo and godfather too was michael flynn uh, don corleone or
3: fredo the <laughs> mafia family run by michael corleone or one run by his weakling brother, Fredo?
4: Look, Devin Nunes is proving himself again and again to be the
0: Fredo of the Republican Party.
3: Cruelly compare Donald Trump Jr. to Fredo Corleone. Privately refers to President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as Fredo.
1: Right, because Bannon's... You are... broke my heart, Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just the Cuomo, Fredo. this is a preface, because later on we'll get into this in more detail. Cuomo's contention, and CNN backed him up and used the term ethnic slur, is that Fredo's an ethnic slur. CNN uses it all the time. So this is a little bit apart from the ethics of how to confront somebody who's being rude to you in public for no reason, but just remember that Fredo is not an ethnic slur. That's not up for debate. We've got more coming up, team. Stay with me.
2: That's been going on for a long time. The whole Epstein episode. And I know it's under investigation by Attorney General Barr, and I'm sure he's going to be handling it. Uh, the request, which is what it was, the request, was from somebody that's a uh, very respected conservative pundit. So uh, I think that was fine. Yeah. Basically, what we're saying is we want an investigation. I want a full investigation. And that's what I absolutely am demanding. That's what our attorney general, our great attorney general is doing. He's doing a full investigation. Do you really think that Clinton's are involved in Jeffrey Epstein's death? I have no idea. I know he was on his plane 27 times, and he said he was on the plane four times. But when they checked the plane lock, Bill Clinton, who is a very good friend of Epstein's, He was on the plane about 27 or
1: 28 times. I'm not going to drop the Epstein case. Attorney General Barr says he's not going to drop the Epstein case. Let's see if we can get some more answers here. That was the president speaking in front of Marine One. I I do wish that the president would, I don't know, could they have him turn down the engines or something? I'm sorry that some of that audio, I just like to share the, what we call the news actuality from the day, so you can hear the president himself, but that audio quality. We got to get them to tone those uh, those jet engines or the helicopter rotors, whatever it is, tone it down a little bit. So that's, I think, uh, an aside. <laughs> we, we can post that, push that aside for a second. A few things in what he said here. One, he doubles down on this tweet, uh, saying the tweet that he shared about how maybe the Clintons were involved. We don't really know. And look, that's the, that's the president. Sometimes he's a little impish. You know, sometimes the president likes to just poke people a bit. And I know some of you probably find it very amusing. Some of you probably think it's absolutely crazy that he does that. But that's something that really does happen uh, where the president decides that he's just going to troll. I think is what the what the kids call it. He's going to troll people. Um, but then he also brought up something that I, I tweeted about today. I did not even know the president was going to bring this up. Or, no, I'm sorry, I tweeted about in response to the president bringing it up, but I didn't know that it was going to come up today. And that is the number of times that Bill Clinton was on Epstein's plane. His official, the Clinton spokesperson, that's got to be quite a job. you got to shovel a lot of stuff around there. Uh, The official spokesperson had said that it was four times. And the president went out and said it was 27. I brought this up. I feel like this should be... An issue where we have absolute clarity and there's been some dueling numbers out there. What I've been told by other journos, or I'm not a journo, but by journos, is that it was four trips with a total of 27 legs of different flights. Now, to this I say, those must have been some trips. You got seven flights per trip? I mean, you know, how... How many places are we really going here? What are these trips for? That's one quick observation about this. Another one is, well, if it's 27 flights, why not just say 27 flights? Because if that's what it is, that's what it is. To say four trips, hmm, that to me seems like they're trying to downplay the amount of time that Bill Clinton spent with this man. Because if if you're talking about You know, people bring up a flight. It it does make a difference, at least if you're thinking about what kind of association they had. Hey, are you going to D.C.? I'm going to D.C. We're in Palm Beach. Hop on my plane. That's one thing. Hey, are you uh, you want to come with me to, you know, Tokyo and we're going to make six stops on the way. I'm not saying he went to Tokyo, but wherever they went. That's a different thing. That's a greater level of familiarity and friendship that Clinton and Epstein would have had. So I just would like more more clarity on that. Uh, Trump thinks that there's something up here for sure. and I can tell all these libs try to tie Trump into this stuff. But as I've said, he's he's the only one that before before the sort of Democles of all the information and all the evidence came down on Epstein's neck, which it should have long before it happened, uh, before that happened and he was finally prosecuted. Trump was the one who said, get out of my club. You're a sicko. You're a weirdo. I don't want you here. Now, I also, so we we need clarity on the flights and what happened there. Then there's another thing. What is the reality of Epstein's funds, his money, and all this other stuff? I don't know if we're ever going to find out. I think that he was very adept at hiding money, hiding funds. We'll find out some stuff, but... I mean, there's no way this guy was a great money manager. The one thing that I saw was he invested, I think he invested in some fund that lost 40 or 50 million dollars. I mean, this guy was not some ace investor, all right? He didn't make all of his money by making great calls. No way. So how did he make his money? Well, you know, there's a Vanity Fair piece, and usually I wouldn't cite Vanity Fair here, but sometimes they write interesting stuff. And this is how it opened. And then I want to, Dive into this with you a little bit. Is it possible prosecutors have lost track of Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's alleged co-conspirator in his pedophile ring for the past few weeks? Rumors have circulated that she's 400 pounds and living in Florida, or that she's living the high life in London or the continent. But according to The Washington Post, authorities are having a hard time locating her. Those who know her say that it's possible she is as much of a Houdini as Epstein. Both of them liked having secrets and the way those secrets kept people off balance. Jeffrey always wanted to give the impression he was an international man of mystery. I control everyone and everything. I collect people. I own people. I can damage people, says an ex-girlfriend. I can damage people. I own people. I collect people. This is a recurring theme for anybody that knew this guy. And now there are some people who are early stage reporting. because There was this FBI raid on, on the pedophile island. People are saying that it was all set up for very detailed surveillance. Pedophile island, the island that he owned in the Caribbean. And there are some who are saying that this may have been the center in many ways of the blackmail ring that I do believe was very much what maybe it wasn't all of what Epstein's financial gain came from. But I do think that this was a substantial portion of it. You know, give me that money to invest because I'm a great investor slash. I have blackmail material that could ruin your life. Epstein would have said to people. That's a pretty easy financial proposition to get done, isn't it? Hey, give me that $100 million to do whatever I want with. Never mind, just invest. I'll invest it, you know, but maybe I'll do some other stuff with it. Or else, uh, you know, I have video of the time that so-and-so that you came to Pedophile Island. That seems, given everything we know about this guy, wouldn't that track? Doesn't that make sense to you that this is what he was up to and and what we're being told the people who are around him they like to collect people that he liked to have leverage over people he wanted influence over very wealthy very powerful individuals wouldn't that make sense given everything else that we know so i'm i'm wondering how much more information we're going to get here about his finances because i do think that that's more than anything else, going to illuminate what was really happening. But I also think that uh, Epstein, Epstein was running. I, I would wonder if anyone's going to prove me wrong. That would be of interest to me. I think Epstein was running a blackmail ring of the global elite. That's what I think was going on. And he had people who were incredibly wealthy and powerful that he did collect and, in a sense, own. And that that was that was reality. This guy had because you know, what do you what would you do? I mean, there's there's some blackmail where you would take a okay, you know what, fine. Tell people what you're going to tell them. I'm not going to live my life this way. If you're a prominent, if you're any person, but particularly if you're a prominent public figure, and someone has video of you with underage girls, I think you're going to. Probably do what that person says, because if you go to the FBI, you're in a whole lot of trouble, right? So I do think that this is—I think this is where it's all—it's all heading. Uh, there's this report that Maxwell told uh, a friend that Epstein's entire island was wired for video, presumably for blackmail purposes. This was on HotAir.com today, citing the Vanity Fair piece. The entire island was wired for video. Who would do that? Maybe for paranoid security purposes, but no, no, no. On a private island in the Caribbean, when you're a billionaire, you get private security. You don't need all that. Blackmail. That makes a lot more sense. We're going to stay on this, folks. I'm not not leaving this case behind.
2: The Hong Kong thing is a very tough situation. Very tough. We'll see what happens, but I'm sure it'll work out. I hope it works out for everybody, including China, by the way. I hope it works out for everybody.
1: That's the president talking about the very tense situation right now in Hong Kong with the Chinese government cracking down. You had riot police inside Hong Kong's airport, one of the largest and busiest airports in the world, which has been shut down for the past two days. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of flights having to be canceled. Chaos at the airport. Protesters had been mostly peaceful. They had effectively locked down and blocked Uh, the airport from functioning. Uh, But then the violence happened when you had riot police show up with shields and batons and started hitting people and protesters were hitting back. That was the president weighing in on this. He said, Hong Kong's a very tough situation. We'll see what happens. I'm sure it will work out. I hope it works out for everybody, including China. President, very noncommittal here. I I was a little surprised given that the president is tough on China As a general rule, this president has been willing to stare down the Chinese government on issues that they needed to be stared down on, like intellectual property theft, like predatory trading practices, uh, cyber espionage, uh, refusing to abide by what they said they would to be part of the. International trade agreements that have been in effect for a long time, um, copyright infringement, trademark infringement, patent infringement—you name it—all. I mean, the Chinese have just been cheating and stealing all over the place, and it's been working. We got to remember that it's been working, and our our government in this country has been saying, "Well, you know, what are we really, what are we really going to do about it?" Well, now you have Hong Kong, which is the single. Most And and I'm so annoyed that I didn't get to go to Hong Kong. I was in Beijing, Beijing and Shanghai a few months ago. Hong Kong was also part of that trip, but I couldn't get the time off from from work uh, from both of my jobs to go. Uh, But but Hong Kong is the great economic success story. And, you know, there's there's an agreement here. The the uh, one country, two systems or one state, two systems. And. It's not supposed to end until roughly twenty fifty, where Hong Kong gets a. And no one knows what happens then, by the way. But Hong Kong's supposed to have its own legislative body that sets its own laws, and it, it has the uh, Chinese government for defense, so that so it is a a, a possession of uh, the People's Republic of China. But it has been able to continue as a very westernized, highly developed. I mean, my friends who were just there were telling me about how. It's incredibly uh, wealthy. I mean, the concentration of wealth in Hong Kong right now is is insane. And it's also relatively liberal. You can go there as an American and not feel the, the big brother state that you'd feel in, say, Beijing, where I was. Uh, but we have the people of Hong Kong who see this not just as pushback against the extradition law, which is what sparked this whole thing, which would have meant that, the mainland communist chinese government would be able to take take anybody effectively in hong kong say you're coming back to mainland china for trial which means the communist party can do anything they want with you i mean now you're done they'll they'll just seize you in hong kong and now you go into the communist party system good luck with that and good luck with your trial or whatever they decide to do with you Uh, we have protesters though who are waving American flags. And I mean, here's a video of Chinese protesters in Hong Kong singing our national anthem. Play nine.
2: And the rock has red glare, the bumpers singing there, gay proof through the night,
1: and a flag was still there.
2: Oh, say does the stars, sprinkle.
1: understand that america is still the beacon of global freedom and they want greater liberty and at least the protesters do they want individual liberty and because they're in hong kong and not on the mainland they've had some taste of that they've had economic freedom they've had a more liberal uh rule of law and they've been able to experience life without the just the crushing hand of the communist regime able to come down on them at any point in time. Now, mainland China has obviously had a lot of economic prosperity. That's been the the bargain that the Chinese Communist Party has made over the last thirty years or so. Which is, we're in charge. You do what we say. But you're going to have greater prosperity and wealth. You're going to have wherever you are in China now. You're more access to you know, like even if you're from the poorer ranks, particularly in the poorer ranks. Uh, you'll have more access to electricity, to schooling, to new vehicles, to safer food, to a better paying job, to all, all these different benefits. But you don't have freedom. And China has been making that bargain. Or the Chinese have been making have been going forward with that bargain for a long time. Now, Hong Kong has a different bargain, which is you do the things that you've been doing in Hong Kong and China will still be. The country that you belong to, but you can do things your way in Hong Kong as Chinese there. Um, This is a, a real inflection point for freedom on a global scale. What happens in Hong Kong will have ramifications that the rest of the world will see and will certainly affect our trade deal with China, how that comes about or not. My friend Steve Yates is going to join in a moment to weigh in more. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I want to bring in my friend Steve Yates here to give us his take on everything that's going on in Hong Kong with the Chinese government and all the rest of it. Steve is formerly Deputy National Security Advisor for Vice President Dick Cheney. He is currently the CEO of D.C. International Advisory. Great to have you, Steve.
3: Thanks. Good to be with you, Buck.
1: All right, Steve. So what do you make of uh, what's going on right now? I mean, it's I know it was very early in the morning. It's very early in the morning. uh, Well, early in the morning, I should say, in Hong Kong right now. Uh, Things have quieted down overnight a bit. But there were some people who were tweeting out some pretty ominous photos and there were concerns about a violent crackdown. Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, make make some predictions here. And if you're right, we'll bring you back on. (laughs)
3: No pressure on that. But there's for sure this is something that's trending in a dangerous direction uh, because there's history of the Communist Party of China being very, very willing, uh, due to politics and other interests, to kill other Chinese people. They did it in the June 4th, 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. That was after weeks and weeks of demonstrations against corruption, inflation, and a number of other grievances Against the government at the time. Uh, the people of Hong Kong were promised not that far from that period of time that they would have a high degree of autonomy, they'd be able to govern their own affairs, that the uh, Chinese would assume sovereignty and defense, but they, the Hong Kong people would have universal suffrage at some point, be able to elect their own leaders. And especially the young generation, but not just the young generation of Hong Kong, now sees that that was not an honest bargain. And the Chinese Communist Party is pushing hard for them to submit and just be a part of one China. And this is, I think, the last stand for freedom for the people of Hong Kong. Uh, Will the Chinese uh, government, the People's Liberation Army, their security forces, the party, ultimately crack down and injure Maine? mass arrest or even murder people to impose some kind of stability uh, that's what they're threatening and that's what we're waiting to see happen but my prediction is this is heading in a dangerous direction the young people are prepared to stand up for their freedom and fight on the long term i bet on the side of the people so i say uh, at some point they're going to win their freedom
1: well that's at least uh, hopeful um i i would actually take the other side of that bargain given what we've seen in china but i guess it depends on the, the horizon we're talking about here so who who really knows we got to have my friend gordon chang back on the coming collapse of china could be any day now but i don't think it's going to be anytime soon uh i i want to ask about what else the protesters want initially this was all kicked off because of the extradition law from Hong Kong. What can you tell us about, this is now that plus, it's more than just that.
3: It's more than just that, but that really is much bigger than it sounds. I mean, fundamentally Hong Kong is the golden goose for China. It's a separate rule of law under a common law system. It's separate currency. Uh, It's high degree of autonomy. Uh, it allowed for Hong Kong to be a major, major international financial center. It also enabled Hong Kong to be basically a throughport to open up Chinese markets, connect it to be a global trading and economic power. And so that separate status is exceedingly important to China's rise as an economic power. And the extraditional treaty or the the extradition uh, law would basically mean that if any American, Canadian, Australian, other CEO were to enter Hong Kong, they could on a whim be snatched up and tried inside China. Uh, and also protesters who are trying to, uh, pursue their own rights could also, instead of being tried under common law, uh, in the, in the Hong Kong separate system could be tried, uh, in mainland courts. And so they, they see this as fundamentally erasing the two systems from the bargain of one country, two systems. It just becomes one country, one system. And it's all in favor of the artificial intelligence, tech-inspired control regime that is the CCP on China.
1: Now, give me the, your sense of why China won't just get... You know, there is international attention on this, not as much as Fredo Gate with Chris Cuomo, but there is international attention. People are finally... Looking at this now because of some of the violence in the airport, what's going on there uh, and and those photos of what look like armored personnel carriers. I know it's supposed to be for the people's police, people's armed police force of China, but it's paramilitary. They're going to look like they're going to roll in there and and crack skulls. Literally, Uh, why wouldn't the Chinese just say, you know what? The heat's the heat's up right now. Why don't we just, you know, back off? let things cool down a bit, and then just use our tremendous economic and political and other uh, powers of persuasion behind the scenes to essentially slowly consume Hong Kong anyway.
3: Well, that would be exceedingly rational, and that's what a lot of us thought for a long time, and in reality, that's what was happening and what was working in many ways, whether it was the Chinese Occupying and what we would call sinifying or turning Chinese territories like Tibet, the far west Xinjiang, where it's majority Muslim, uh, the slow cook pressure on Hong Kong, the pressure on Taiwan and trying to bully them and push them out of international bodies and things like all of this on a slow Pressure cooker was actually kind of trending Beijing's way as long as they held out the promising vision of what China was becoming and the world was very accommodating to China doing these things. And that's been essentially the last several decades since the Tiananmen Square massacre. And so really in the last year, for reasons that are not directly apparent to a lot of outside observers, things seem to be worse. For the communist party inside china or there's no rational reason for them to have to push for these things now if they were a confident power if they were secure in their economic model not feeling the pressure of the trump tariffs and the other inconsistencies of their economy if if they really believed their people were behind them they could allow for time and be patient but something changed inside china this is not a u.s or externally induced Movement and it's not just a trade war. This is a comprehensive war by the Communist Party of China to impose control on as much as it possibly can right now. How much driven by fear on their part?
1: How much does uh, independence contagion affect the thinking in your mind of of the Chinese Communist Party uh, right now? Meaning, if they, if do you think that their perception is if they backed off of Hong Kong? There are other parts of China that aren't quite as on board for the whole communist mission as the Central Committee wants them to be, right? And certainly Taiwan comes to mind, which is a whole other category, but there are even parts of mainland China that are at issue here. Does that factor in, or where would you put that?
3: Well, it is certainly logic that they deploy, and at some level they've said it so long, so much, to so many people, I think they believe their own propaganda at this point. But It isn't empirically or logically true. Hong Kong is very, very different from all other parts of China. After all, it was a British colony for a very long time. And they can talk about how important it was to bring back to China, so to speak. But it is a very, very different place. And so any kind of an exception that was made for Hong Kong is easily justified as it's for a place that was under exceptional circumstances. So all of you other parts of China that were a long-term British colony, yeah, will give you an audience. But that's literally no other part of the current People's Republic of China. So th- there's, there's other logic for why they're having to do this. There's no question that they have built in almost like a Sixth Sense movie issue of everywhere they look, they see dead people, they see color revolutions, they see some kind of group that's going to come take them down. But that's, like I said, they are insecure at some level. We have assumed a level of maturity, security, durability in this regime that they don't even seem to assume themselves. But it's this color revolution contagion that they're talking up now, and then labeling the Hong Kong protesters as terrorists that does, in fact, sound like they're setting up for some kind of a crackdown. Very worrying. If they do it, it's Tiananmen Square Massacre of 1989 times 10. Because more of the world is watching, and as much as we like to kick the journalist profession around, and it's easy to do a lot, there's actually a respectable number of journalists that have gone into Hong Kong, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're reporting the truth on the scene unfiltered. And it's almost the only place on the planet that's happening right now.
1: Steve, uh, the administration weighing in on this one. uh, Today, Trump said he hopes no one dies, basically, and that this will somehow work out. And it was very it was just neutral, really. It, he didn't really take a position either way is how, how do you view that? Meaning does does Trump just see this as he doesn't have a hand to play here right now because he has to worry about the trade agreement or should he see this as leverage or what, what should Trump be doing?
3: Well, the first thing, I mean, I, you know, obviously, I, I can't program what our great president is going to say by way of Twitter or otherwise. Uh, I, my, my hope would be the first thing anybody from the United States can do is say we, we stand for people who are prepared to make the sacrifices that Americans before us made to secure our own freedom. So, I mean, we, ha- we have to, at some level, say you know whether we're prepared to intervene or help, that completely aside we should at least say that I have nothing but respect for the people that are willing to stand up and maybe even pay the ultimate price to pursue freedom, the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our poster- posterity. These are things we believe in. It's what's American. It makes us special. And uh, then beyond that, uh, I think that we should be giving some cautionary words to Beijing, that there's going to be costs to them greater than this tariff. Uh, escalation in recent times, if they try to pull off some kind of a Tiananmen again, that, they're, that they're, there are measures that are ready to go, and so we really urge them to exercise caution. After all, it is they who pushed the extradition law. It is they who cranked up the pressure cooker, and now they're trying to show us the result and say that's the problem, when really that's just the symptom of what they have done. Now, I, I would like the president to see through the shade and be able to speak directly to that
1: Stephen yates everybody dc international advisory he is the ceo and uh Stephen, always appreciate you joining and share your asia expertise sir talk to you soon
3: thank you buck take care
1: all right team we got more stay with me just a few more thoughts on on what's going on in hong kong but in a historical sense i, I have a different approach to this i wanted to share with you because you know in this country right now we are in the midst of whether we understand or accept this or not we are we are in the midst of a debate over whether we're going to go socialist or not that is happening democratic party is a socialist party Uh, they advocate for socialism in a broad uh, scale manner uh, full spectrum socialism in a democratic socialist model openly now but they've been advocating for Central planning and the implementation of socialist programs within a more liberal and free market economy for as long as I've been for as long as really they've been around uh, in the 20th century into the 21st. So now what we have is a Democratic Party that is effectively socialist. I, I look at what's going on in Asia, and I think that there's a lesson from all this. People often point conservatives in particular do this. They'll point to Venezuela and they'll say, see Look at what socialism does in Venezuela. It has tremendous natural uh, resources, particularly oil, which is the one we're really talking about, although it does have some of the best cacao in the world. Those of you who like chocolate, I'm a bit of a chocolate, chocolateophile. o It's probably a better word. A chocophile, is that a thing? Uh, I do love chocolate. Uh, but they have more proven oil reserves than even Saudi Arabia this is the fact the statistic that everybody who talks about this on tv throws out so it sounds like they know something about Venezuela but you can look at what's happened in the far east over the last 50 years or so and all you have is case study after case study of what Central planning and socialism, the the heart of socialism is central planning. These two things have to go together. What central planning and socialism have done to economies in the Far East and what free trade and liberalism and free markets have done in the Far East. And you just look at country after country uh, and it, it tells you the whole tale. I mean, China was a desperately poor country. Uh, until about the 1980s, when all of a sudden they decided, you know what, we're going to adopt free market reforms. And they've had their own way of doing it with uh, state-supported entities, but they have created something of an economic miracle, that is by adopting a market-based model. Because at its core, socialism has to fail, whether it's in a specific sector, a specific policy, or an entire program for a national economy it has to fail because it does not have the market signal of price for one and there's no way that you could ever centrally plan effectively on a scale of any major national economy it just can't happen so these different programs of socialism the far uh, in the far east yeah yeah we talk about north korea but that's also a stalinist a, a stalinist totalitarian gulag state So that feels like the more extreme version. But look at India. Look at China. Look at Hong Kong. Look at Taiwan. All of these different countries tell the tale of why socialism fails and what happens when you adopt free market based economic policies. And with the free market, you also have the once you have. Individual liberty in business, individual liberty in your economic daily life, it then is a, a much greater likelihood, although this is really the this is the uh, where the rubber meets the road in china it's a much greater likelihood you'll have individual rights across the board later on for free speech and religious practice and everything but but first you need those economic those economic rights, or at least the state has to respect your ability to pursue international markets and competition in order to grow capital to amass capital and to prosper as a business um every i mean hong kong is is an excellent example of this why is hong kong so much wealthier so much more prosperous even today than the rest of china i mean shanghai is now catching up to it but hong kong is still the financial center of china and the reason for that is oh that's right the british were running it for a long time it had English common law in some capacity, English courts—you know—there there was all this, uh, this leave behind of the British Empire that created an infrastructure that was something that the Chinese people, with all their, you know, intelligence, ingenuity, and and work ethic, could quickly build on. So Hong Kong was way ahead of the rest of China even before the Chinese Communist Party adopted market uh, market reforms. Look at the state of Taiwan which is another big open question about how this part of the world is going forward. I mean, Taiwan, the the joke in America in the nineties was that everything was made in Taiwan, right? Well, how is that possible? The regime in Taiwan had been the national government of mainland China, but then, you know, Mao in his guerrilla warfare with guerrilla warfare defeated um, Chiang Kai shek and they fled to Taiwan and, but taiwan adopted market-based economic policies and market-based reforms time and time again look at how wealthy south korea has become and and japan all these different asian asian nations that pursued a free market-based economic policy had explosions of growth and wealth and it always directly coincides with with Scaling back or eliminating the central planning, opening markets and allowing the business of the people to be business. In, in case after case, not a single Asian country did you have a socialist pro? Did you have a free market program that they switched to a socialist program and all of a sudden things looked really great and now everybody was happy and had free health care and free medical care? And, in fact, in the case of India. We think of India as a third world country that just recently, again, in the last 30 years or so has become much wealthier. And and that that is accurate insofar as it's representative of what's recently happened. But India, uh, up until the British left, was for the region, a pretty wealthy country, huge textile industry. And India was, again, speaking from a regional perspective, doing pretty well. But then when you had the British end their rule, they left behind a lot of, again, English common law, the courts, infrastructure. You had a socialist program instituted by Nehru, socialism. And it was this village based socialism. And it was Gandhi, as much as he's the national hero of India, had some very sketchy economic ideas, didn't really understand economics, uh, but he was really a, a nation state founder slash saint in India. Uh, so they pursued all these socialist policies and India became a an economic basket case full of corruption and just, you, you couldn't get anything done, nothing worked, no market signals, central planning all over the place, prices or whatever they say they are, disaster. So, you know, the, the case of Hong Kong, this is true across Asia, that's why I'm bringing this up, but socialism destroys economies and, and puts people into misery. And it's true everywhere. And people who bring up Sweden don't know what the heck they're talking about because Sweden became socialist and was getting poorer and poorer. And you have to remember that some of these countries that had, been, that had been more liberal in their economies, it takes a while to run through everything that got stored in the cupboard, so to speak, when you go to socialism. But now Sweden has been liberalizing its economy and has been changing its policies to make them more free market because it wasn't working. It doesn't work. It never works. This is, I, so yes, the, the case of individual freedom for the people, the, the freedom of individuals in Hong Kong matters to us. Global freedom. It's helpful for the economy. It's helpful for humankind and all that. That's true. But also just remember, Hong Kong is a case study in why free markets work And why socialism fails, because Hong Kong was way ahead of all the socialist countries of Asia and has been for a long time. So I know we mentioned it at the top of the show. This was the biggest trending news story in the country today. Uh, Getting more attention than anything else. Hundreds of thousands of posts on Twitter and Facebook. Everyone weighing in on the different aspects of Fredo gate I guess we could call it that Chris Cuomo who we have referred to as bro Cuomo as he is the bro of the governor of New York State as well as a bro yo do you even lift bro uh, we've been referring to him as that for a while I did not realize he is quite sensitive about that and last night he was I'm not sure exactly where but he was in New York City with his wife and his child I think that's important for context and he ended up being accosted by somebody as as yet not really named um, from what I understand. But this is how I, I want to I play the exchange. Now, Look, there's a lot of profanity. We cut out the profanity. But this was filmed. This is in a public place. Chris Cuomo of CNN, the CN anchor, Bro Cuomo, is approached by some guy. And all we really know is that this guy called him Fredo, a reference to the Weaker, dumber brother from the Godfather movies, which, of course, is about the uh, Sicilian mafia. Uh, Some people say the greatest two of the greatest movies of all time. I leave that to you. But Fredo, you know, he's the brother who's like, I'm good enough. I'm smart. You know, and and then he Michael has the uh, I don't want to give anything away, but he ends up on a boat and it's the last thing that ends up happening anyway. uh, Chris Cuomo is very, very sensitive about this situation and just. There'll be bleeps, but you can imagine what the real thing was like. This is Cuomo getting called Fredo. Play it.
4: Don't insult me like that. I didn't insult you. You call me Fredo. It's like I call you punk bitch. You like that? You want well, that to I, be your nickname? I didn't call you that. I, you called me Fredo. I you know my name's not I, Fredo. your name was. Man. You did not think my name was Fredo. Don't be a liar. I, I want to be a man. Stand let's up
2: let's like say. a man. I'm, I'm standing up, man. I want to be a man out yeah, here. Then stand own it. Then own what you said.
3: Hey. Then own what you said. Listen, I don't have a problem with you, man. You're gonna what? What are you going to do about it? I'll, 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 I'll ruin you. I'll, I'll you throw you down these stairs like a. Oh, please do. Why? So you can sue. That. You
0: don't want so do to sue. Well, why don't you do it? Go no, take a swing. No, you're going to no, call me Fredo. Take a swing. Watch your hands. Take f- a swing. Watch your hands.
1: Take a swing. So you get the idea. We actually didn't even play the opening part of it, where he says that it's like being called that being called Fredo for an Italian is a racial slur and it is the equivalent for Italians of being called the N word. Uh, that is not true. <laughs> okay. That, that is a class. This is a classic liberal tactic of, uh, cause I, I think that Cuomo has the moral high ground here in the sense that he was approached. He's with his wife and kids. um, He, he or with, with his wife and kid and he's at a public place. And from what we understand, he didn't, incite this at all. Someone came up to him and just called him Fredo and obviously wanted to film this and create some sort of incident, which is a lame loser thing to do. Uh, And conservatives, a lot of them, I will note, a lot of people that I like in this business have come out and said that you shouldn't do this. It's not cool. uh, it's, It's rude. And you also might spark a situation where you're getting a lot more than you asked for, which I think is pretty much what happened here with these guys. That said, to, to claim that this is a racial slur is just excessive and nonsensical, which is what Cuomo said. Fredo is not a racial slur. It's a reference to a movie character. And the whole point of referencing the character is that it's the weaker, dumber brother. No one really cares that Fredo is Italian. They care about the fact that Michael Corleone is the godfather boss and Fredo is his wayward, stupid brother. And no one, you know, that, that's what that's all about. So we, we understand That one. And, uh, you know, this is as a conservative, I feel like we have principles and standards and a principle and a standard that we can all get behind is that you shouldn't harass public figures for no reason. You shouldn't go up to them in public. There's plenty of ways to reach out. You know, if we're going to allow everyone to say what they want on Facebook and Twitter and email people and you don't have to also physically accost anyone and make it impossible for them to have a nice night with their wife and kids. I also think that that's an escalation if you go up to somebody and they're alone. If you go up to a guy a woman is a different category because she might feel even more threatened. But if you go up to a guy in media and he's alone uh, that's bad if you go up to somebody and he is with his wife and uh, and or children and you're going to start saying stuff. Now you really have now you really have a problem and now you're somebody who has no no decency, no sense of, of honor. It, it's a gross thing to do. But Cuomo sounded like a complete lunatic. I mean, I'm not going to discount this either. You know, It's like, yo, I'll throw you down. I'll own you. It's like, all right, dude, calm down. I mean, it's one thing. If you want to tell him to go blank himself, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what a normal person would say. But to get up in his face, you're going to throw him down a flight of stairs because he called you Fredo? Uh, it was a, it was a little excessive. Uh, it's a little excessive. Uh, you know, I've had people say things to me that I didn't like in public, uh, in private, on social media. I'm not running around threatening to throw people down a flight of stairs. And I could. My, one of my biggest frustrations is that I know that this uh, solidarity with with Cuomo that you've seen from most of the media, including a lot of conservatives. Look, Sean Hannity said that he did nothing wrong. Sean tweeted that out last night and that he would have reacted the same way. I mostly agree with Sean, except I think that, that Cuomo went a little, he went too far. And I think Cuomo's also a, a jerk, but that's, I guess, beside the point. Uh, but, you know, conservatives, I can tell you this, if someone ever comes up to me, and I think that they see the like the side swoop and they figure, oh, he's probably, and I'm very nice usually. Um, i I have a whole other gear too. Not just a salty language gear, but a, you know, the, the Anglo-Irish equivalent of, are you talking to me? Uh, so, you know, I just know that if I got into it with somebody like this, I could not expect the media to come to my defense. And, say, you know, if I was out with, let's say, a girlfriend and somebody said something rude to me and then I got into it with them and they videotaped it, I just know the conservatives were held to a different standard. So that's always what's hard for me with these situations, that the, the real standard should be don't bother people in public but also a little bit, don't be a complete maniac if somebody's not really crossing the line that badly. Uh, but the but the standard's going to be Chris Cuomo a Democrat, a lib, and he's resistance. He's anti-Trump. So they'll back him up. But if anybody who's pro-Trump and a conservative and on the right does this, you can watch the, as the mainstream media circles the wagons against that person. But I, I want to bring in our, our, our friends, Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell. We haven't had them on the show in a little bit, and they're two great guys. Don't tell them I said that, though. They already both have very healthy egos, uh, but they really are great dudes, and they're going to be coming on here in a minute. We'll talk to them about their take on this, and then also an important news story, which is the possibility of an end to the war in Afghanistan and a full U.S. military withdrawal because of an agreement with the Taliban. That's coming up. All right, team, we got a special treat for you here to weigh in on some of the most important news of the day. We're joined by our friends, Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell. Jesse Kelly is, of course, the host of the Jesse Kelly radio show down on KPRC Houston. And we've also got Sean Parnell. His latest book, All Out War, is available on Amazon and whatever wherever books are sold. Of course, Jesse's a former Marine. Sean's a former Army Ranger. They're both great patriots and uh, and entertaining individuals. They join us now. Gentlemen, great to have you on the Buck Sexton Show.
4: Yes. Well, it's great uh, to be it's here. A special treat. It's a very special yeah. treat for your audience that I'm here. Not so much for the shop.
1: So <laughs> I, I saw you two guys. We, I wanted to have you weigh in because you had different takes, which I did find a little surprising. Different takes on the whole Fredo Cuomo fiasco. And I want to start with the what what is the Sean Parnell reaction to what, by the way, based on Twitter and social media is being treated like it's the single biggest news story in the world right now?
0: Yeah, it it really is. I mean, my thing is, is that, you know, I I thought that Cuomo's response was entirely inappropriate. Um, You know, while it is. It kind of sucks that this guy approached him and and instigated everything. You know, my position is he's a public figure. It's part of public life in a perfect world. Everybody, when you're off the clock, everybody can go about their business and not be bothered. But when you're called a name, an appropriate response is not threatening harm or physical violence on somebody. You know, there is a line. um, I, I don't think that this guy crossed it. He didn't. He wasn't bowing up on uh, Cuomo in any sort of aggressive way. He just sort of stood there. And and by the way that Cuomo responded, he branded himself Fredo for life. And if you look what happened in the wake of that video being released and going viral, even conservatives and liberals alike started going on the Wikipedia page and Google searches for Cuomo and started naming him Chris. Fredo Cuomo precisely because of his reaction. (laughs) And so you only need to have siblings to know that if people know what truly bothers you, it becomes your tagline for life. And had Cuomo just walked away and just ignored it, just acted like the bigger person, this wouldn't even be an incident and he wouldn't be Fredo for life. All all right. right, We we have an opening statement from
1: from Sean Parnell. Jesse Kelly, you take a more... You mess with the big dog, you get bit approach. I I disagree with everything
4: Sean said, except for one thing. Yes, Chris Cuomo is now labeled Fredo for life. And he did that by his reaction. That's a fact. I totally disagree with this. Well, it's Chris Cuomo's fault. The guy didn't do anything wrong. I think that is an absurd take. Chris Cuomo was out by himself or supposedly with his kid, maybe with friends. It doesn't even matter who he was with. Chris Cuomo was out minding his own business in public. If you then choose on your own to pull out your little mirrored cell phone camera or your little man purse cell phone camera, roll up to somebody who's minding his own business, start chirping at him, throw an insult his way, then you get what you get. Don't throw a fit. Chris Chris Brown did not hit the guy in the mouth or anything like that. But, frankly, if I was approached by somebody out in public and I saw he was insulting to me, maybe I'd try to walk away. But I guarantee you I'd tell, tell him one thing. Bro, you will stay an arm's length away from me or you're going to pay the penalty for it. Stay away. Back off. We have a serious lack of punching people in the mouth in this country, and I say that not because I think he should have hit him. He should not have. But I'm talking about we have so banned and, and demonized kids fighting when they're younger that now we have grown adult little snot who think it's funny to do this thing. When I see someone who does that, I see somebody who didn't get punched in the nose enough in his life because that's exactly who that guy is.
0: So,
1: Sean, I need to, I need to ask you, I mean, the, the part of this that got, at least initially, that I, I was... Well, I was taken aback just by how completely rageful Cuomo was over yes. being called Fredo. But but I would go a step further. He, he said that uh, f- that that calling him Fredo is like calling somebody the N word. But for Italians, this is just lunacy. I don't know what else to say about it.
0: Well, it's it, yeah, it's the dumbest thing ever. And let me let me just say, uh, I agree with you, Buck and and Jesse. I agree with you as well. I don't think our points are mutually exclusive. So, like, there's a line here. This guy called him Fredo. He didn't call him anything inflammatory. If you're a public, f- if you're a public figure, you have to assume that sometimes things are going to get flung at you, and only you can control how you react. I thought that he was totally out of line. Fredo is obviously, obviously not a racial slur. It it is a term meant to imply weakness, right? He was calling Chris Cuomo weak, and what Chris Cuomo did was demonstrate his weakness by responding in the way that he did, therefore branding himself Fredo for life. And if you look no further than the, the... best branding expert in the country. And look how Donald Trump responded. He's already got merchandise out there calling Chris Cuomo Fredo that he's selling on the Donald Trump website for re-election. <laughs> I mean, it's it, and he branded himself Fredo for life through his ridiculous reaction to something that he should have just walked away from. Now, I'm not saying that you can't defend your family. I mean, look, if the guy accosted him, if he said something truly inflammatory, if he said something about his, about his wife, if he said something about his kid, that's different. I do agree that I have no issue with standing up for the people that you love and you care about in public places, but this was not one of those instances. Yeah, but yeah. Cuomo was way over the top. Go
1: for it, Jesse. Here's
0: what I'm saying. It, it, may, it may have been over the top, and I would agree with you. I
4: can't see myself ever reacting that way. I've been shouted at plenty of times in public. I, I can't see any insult you threw at me to have me react that way. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, who well, who should be attacking today is the moron who approached him at all. Why approach him at all? Unless you're going to sheepishly walk up and ask for a picture or an autograph or something like that. Why not leave the freaking guy alone? I can you're
0: I can not, answer that. I can answer that question. I'll tell you
1: exactly I'll, ex- I'll,
0: ex- I'll tell you exactly why. Because Cuomo goes on a show every single night and calls Trump supporters racist, xenophobic, bigots. And that Trump supporter is probably feeling a little bit under assault from Cuomo and felt like he wanted to call him weak. My point is is that Chris Cuomo is the he calls people names every day on a show from a platform that's 10 times as big as that guy with the cell phone camera. And so Cuomo, Cuomo is asking for this type of behavior because he goes on TV every night and calls Trump supporters racist. I mean, Ooh. Cuomo's the biggest offender of these. Uh, I'm you know, just, I, I have action.
1: a little bit of a, just real quick, and I, I want to bring Jesse back in in a second. The, uh, the, the problem with with making this based on what someone says on their show, and this will actually transition to what I want to pass to Jesse in a second, is that the left is going to say, well, every conservative, whether on radio or TV, is engaging in the you know propaganda for genocide on a nightly basis. And so anything that you could say to a conservative. So so, Sean, I, I'm while I agree with you from an editorial standpoint. I think that if we open it up to, well, he says this crappy stuff, that's why I went up to That's what Libs say all the time. And you can respond to that in a second, but I did want to bring Jesse in on this. Jesse, my concern is, you know, let's say somebody goes up, which would be, I mean, both of you are are large individuals. Um, Sean is not quite 6'11", though, so it would be a little surprising (laughs) if... uh, If somebody decided to go up to Jesse Kelly, nonetheless, I mean, either of you guys, they would probably have a very bad day. Point here being that if Jesse, Jesse, if some lib went up to you uh, in and, and got in your face and actually said something really nasty, you know, like, you know, said something about your wife or something else, and it did go to fisticuffs in some capacity, I guarantee you. All the libs that are out there right now would switch and say, "Well, I mean, Jesse Kelly is a conservative maniac, and clearly he, you know, should be fired, and all the other stuff."
4: You're right, and I'm, but but I'm not playing with the left double standard. To be honest with you, and this is to the point you just made, and to respond to Sean's point, I'm not even playing with politics. If we I think
0: it's a dangerous
4: game to say, "Well, I mean, if you do X." then it's okay to approach somebody. Are we going to do that now with actors? I mean, look, you were in a film that had too much cussing. So, I mean, look, I'm allowed to approach you. If you insult this person, I'm allowed to approach you. My point of view is not left or right. It's not libs or Republicans or Trump supporters or anyone else. This applies to everybody in every walk of life. Leave people the hell alone. Leave me the hell alone? I'll leave you the hell alone. I don't approach people. The person I hated the most in the world, I would, it wouldn't even have my mind to approach them and say anything vaguely insulting to them. Well, I, I mean, mind I would say, Sean... Your own business and leave
0: people alone.
1: Sean, I, I get frustrated just because I think that there are very few organizations in media uh, that would back anyone on the right as quickly and as all in as CNN backed. I mean, I, I, I give the left credit they take care of their own it's something that we we leave people high and dry on the right all the time cnnpr had a statement out in defense of him saying we're with him 100% within like an hour of the story breaking
0: and and not only saying that they were in defense of him that that the man that filmed him used an ethnic slur which is preposterous
1: yeah that know? is preposterous
0: I, you know i don't i don't disagree with anything that buck you were saying or jesse you're saying as well i mean I, I i think the points that we're making aren't mutually exclusive um i will say Buck to address your point uh you know i think that conservatives for a long time have felt under attack by the by the media for decades right and so i think that all plays into this man's response uh the, the mainstream media or most in the media are liberal most in entertainment are liberal there was just this movie come out about elites hunting down, you know, deplorables or maybe even Trump supporters. The conservatives hunts, have yeah. felt under attack. Yeah. Conservatives have felt under attack for a long time. I'm just saying that that might have played into this guy's mentality a little bit. Was he right in doing it? Probably not. But the only thing that we can control is how we respond to things. I have no issue with defending one's family, wife, kids. Uh, but it didn't cross that line. Cuomo could have walked away and it would have all gone away and he wouldn't be afraid over for life.
1: We're talking to Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell. Uh, we're going to come back in a moment, team, and, and discuss the possibility of a deal in Afghanistan with the Taliban. So we're going to switch to a topic that actually matters from one that's just sort of fun to mess around talking about. Uh, we'll get into something real here in a moment, so stay with us for that. All right, everyone, we're back with my friends Sean Parnell, author of All Out War, which you can get on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Also, our friend Jesse Kelly, host of the Jesse Kelly Show in Houston on KPRC Radio. Uh, guys, it looks like we may have, and the emphasis on may, a deal to end the war in Afghanistan, but the deal is mostly... Okay, so we're going to leave Taliban, and here's what the phases are going to be. Uh, let's start with Let's start with Jesse here. I mean, you guys both are former military. Jesse was a Marine. Sean was an Army Ranger. Uh, but Jesse, what do you think about about if if it does turn into we're just leaving? Is that the right move under whatever circumstances?
4: Good. Yes. Let's get out before we lose another single troop over there. Let's get out now, right now. I know it's going to be a deal with the Taliban and people are going to yell about that, but let me inform all of you something, and I know this is going to make you uncomfortable. The Taliban are going to win. We are not going to win. The Taliban are 100% committed. They're as strong now as they've ever been. They're going to win. We know this already, which makes every single loss of life over there 10 times as tragic when you already know the war is lost. Peel out, get out. It's been two decades
0: there. Sayonara. Hopefully we never see you again.
1: Sean, what do you got?
0: Well, I I mean, how does that make it any different than Saigon, you know, uh, than us leaving Saigon in the Vietnam War? I mean, I think that I would like, look, I'm with you. I want out of Afghanistan just as bad as you do, Jesse. I I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if you want to have a peace deal, though, the thing that bothers me the most are two things about this Afghan peace deal. Um, the, The fact that there is not, there's no ceasefire required. OK, how can you have a peace deal if there's not a comprehensive ceasefire in the wake of signing that treaty or in the wake of signing that deal? Number one, number two, well, it's the calls- Taliban. You might as well yeah. tell a feminist not to eat cake. But but so, yeah, but listen, but that's my point. My point is a peace deal has to require a ceasefire. And you cannot put on the table from the very beginning that you're withdrawing 100 percent of U.S. troops, the people who would essentially be the strength and the teeth behind any deal that you sign. And the third point that I'm going to make is that this deal only only, it, it, it only calls to the table the Afghan Taliban. It doesn't call into question the Pakistani Taliban. And the Pakistani Taliban are the ones that are causing all the problems on the border. They're the ones striking into the heart of Afghanistan. This 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 peace treaty does not speak for them, and therefore not worth the paper that it's written on. I want to get out of out of Afghanistan just as much as you do, Jesse. But I think the way we withdraw matters, and I think the way that we're doing it now is going to be my, a short-term victory for Trump, right? But it will be a nightmare for him in 2020. You watch as every Democratic candidate throws this the monumental fail, failure that Afghanistan will become if America pulls out. You're going to see one base topple after the next, and you're going to see entire Kandak. Turn over to the Taliban side if it's a wholesale withdrawal. There, Jesse, be Vietnam part part two.
1: Jesse, what do you got?
0: I say the real tragedy
4: of you you mentioned the fall of of Saigon and Vietnam part two. Do you know what those Vietnam guys say? I know Sean does. I know you do because you talk to them all the time. The major, major tragedy of Vietnam was not losing the war. It was all the guys we lost in the last two or three years. We we know the war was already lost. Throwing bodies at people for a cause that is lost. The cause is already lost. Get them out now. Afghanistan is a dump now. It was a dump before. It'll be a dump after we leave. That sucks. It doesn't do me it's an ounce of pleasure to say so, but I don't want a single other parent to get a notification in the mail that they just lost their baby. Bring them all home with the chips over their face.
1: Anything to close on that, Sean?
0: Well, I would say that the, the tragic loss of life, life in Vietnam is because the last two years of the war, the politicians were right in the middle and they weren't fighting it the right way. I mean, I would call on our politicians to really come up with a good, comprehensive solution for withdrawal in Afghanistan to so that our troops aren't fighting with both hands behind their back. They're not throwing their bodies needlessly into a meat grinder where, they, where, where any parent is going to get a letter home uh, from uh, another loss of life my point is is that this afghan deal has to be worth the paper that it's printed on and right now it isn't and i'd rather see us withdraw under the right circumstances um than withdraw under circumstances that feed all of afghanistan back to the taliban wholesale
1: all right gentlemen we'll have to see how uh, how it actually shakes out by the way just give us a little bit of an update sean you got any book signings or anything coming up jesse kelly you just walking around being jesse kelly sean you first
0: well, I've got a brand-new book coming out in just under three weeks. It's all out war. It's available for pre-order on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. It would mean the world to me if you went out and pre-ordered it. Pre-orders are important for, for young authors like me. Uh, so anything that you could do to support my cause would be greatly appreciated.
1: All righty. And Mr. Jesse Kelly?
4: Look, I'm already important enough. It would just mean a lot to me if someone would go out and buy <laughs> it. <off. laughs>
1: there we go. Look at that. Re- re- reach it across. All six foot, six foot eleven of him to make sure that uh, our buddy Sean Parnell sells some books. And by the way, you better have cool people play both of us in the movie, Sean. That's all I'm telling you.
0: You know I will. You know I will. I've made this promise before.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you know I don't know we're, we're gonna have to find one of those one of those guys from Eastern Europe who's in the NBA for Jesse Kelly. You know I, I don't know <laughs> you know I can't think of any of them I'm, off the top of my head, but there are a few of them. And then for me, you know, we could do the guy from Parks and Rec.
4: I'm playing myself. I don't know what you're talking about,
1: I'm playing well, me. There we go. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Sean Parnell, author of Total All Out War, rather. Uh and Total War. All Out War, which you can get on Amazon. And then our friend Jesse Kelly. Listen to his show down in KPRC Houston. You can also download the Jesse Kelly show on podcast. Gentlemen, a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining.
0: Okay, Later.
1: take care. Man, we got a lot of a lot of dudes talking in the third hour here of the buck saxon show tonight we covered a lot of ground a lot of territory there uh we one serious subject and one just i'm amazed at how much people really seem to care about the whole fredo chris cuomo This, this is this is chris cuomo's viral moment being a total maniac i mean look i i'm you know how i feel about this i think that speaking the way that he did uh was excessive but i also think that people shouldn't act like jerks in public so we got more coming up before we get to roll call. I wanted to bring a new story to your attention that is a harbinger of things to come, and it it matters. It's important. Uh, you have had in the last week or so a number of high profile Senate Democrats who have been warning. Uh, That the Supreme Court needs to get itself together to, quote, take steps to heal or else people will. uh, the Democrats, I assume here, will take action. Uh, The Supreme Court is not well and the people know it, according to a brief filed. uh, It was on Monday. This was in a case related to a New York City gun law. You had. Sheldon Whitehouse, Blumenthal, Hirono, Richard Durbin, and Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, all of them part of this brief, and they're saying the Supreme Court has an affliction that must be addressed. This, my friends, is a a straight-up, nice Supreme Court there, be a shame if something happened to it, Warning. This is trying to influence the court from the outside by threatening openly. And these are members of the United States Senate. This is not just some random group of trolls coming together who think that they're going to be able to. Frighten Supreme Court justices into acting differently than they would otherwise. These are people who have the power, at least theoretically, the legislative branch could take action to reform the court. This is talked about. With some regularity by liberals. Anytime there's a decision from the Supreme Court. They don't like. Anytime there's a problem. They don't get the ruling that they want. It's not based on what the law is. It's based on what they want the law to be. They start talking about court packing. And some of the 2020 candidates. Have been part of this conversation. The Democrats have been part of this conversation. In the past. You've had. Candidates including Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, they've all talked about a willingness to change the number of Supreme Court justices to rebalance it, as they would put it, so that it's liberal, folks. That's all that means. Balance to what? They want a left-wing majority on the court or else they'll change the court. These are the same people, the same politicians as the same political party, the Democrats, the left, that lecture us constantly about how Trump is undermining institutions. What institution is is a more dangerous or more egregious danger of violation than the Supreme Court when you have members of the United States Senate who are openly talking about changing it? Because they don't like the decisions that it makes. You might recall that many of you who look back in your history will remember that this was discussed openly also by FDR, who had more than a bit of a tyrannical streak in him, as much as we're supposed to think that he's the savior of America and the New Deal and all this other really hagiography around him. Oh, yeah. He also put Japanese Americans in internment camps. But that's always a footnote for the libs. They don't really care. He created the uh, massive federal bureaucracy that now seeks to control every day-to-day aspect of our lives, at least if we let it. But I just think this is fascinating. This is such a delusion. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, for example, has proposed a plan to have some justices appointed by the president and others selected by other judges. So he's got a whole other plan here to, quote, depoliticize it depoliticize the supreme court the people that want to change the makeup of the supreme court are the same ones who think that roe v wade is is sound law again forget about what your policy preference may be for abortion or no abortion roe v wade is is alchemy with the law it's fakery It created a right, a constitutional right where none existed before because they wanted it to be there. That's it. And they've done it with other things, too. And if the law doesn't mean what it says, then what are we even talking about? Then the law is just and then everything is mob rule and the Supreme Court just becomes a weather vane that goes in whatever direction mob opinion wants it to in any point in time. It's not what it's supposed to do. But clearly, that is what liberals want it to do. They are still seething over the D.C. v. Heller decision, which could not be more clear. Speaking of Cuomo, he really does have the constitutional jurisprudence of an eighth grader who has never read the Constitution. He thinks that the right to bear arms was never a private right. This was before his whole blow up on social media. Uh, He was saying that just a few days ago. I saw this. This is such idiocy. The Bill of Rights is about individual rights. Of, of people uh, the right to bear arms in a group as defined by the government would be no right to bear arms at all this is absurd but they try to contort the law to mean whatever they want it to mean keep in mind you also have people now that believe that the laws that we uh, currently have on the books for immigration don't count why because they say so nothing more sophisticated than that. But now you have Democrats trying to at least appeal to their base. I think they are serious. I think if they had the votes to do this, they would. There are plenty of Democrats who are such petty authoritarians that they would restructure the Supreme Court itself to suit their policy desires and think that they were the ones who were defending our institutions in the process because they're delusional.
3: Rock and roll, fellow patriots.
0: We made ours go up to 11.
3: It's time for Roll Call.
1: Facebook.com slash Buck That is how you get in on the roll call action, as you know. So here we go. Sean writes, uh, hey, Buck, not sure why, but I'm seeing any I'm not seeing any new podcasts on Google Play Music after June 27th. Did you stop posting to them? Sean, I think we are no longer on Google Play Music, but I'm not sure. Producer Mark can probably answer that question. But, yeah, if you're not seeing it, we're pro- you probably probably got to get on uh, the iheart app platform or itunes or i think we're on soundcloud and stitcher i'm not sure there's so many of them out there these days tough to know i I gotta figure out where we are up I'll, i'll learn all these things jim your analysis is spot on as usual buck as a medical professional working for a very large insurance company, the only way to control prices is to remove all the government intrusion and let the free market work its magic. Very well uh, said. Shields high from Dallas. Well, Jim, thank you very much. And yeah, the, the economics on this are pretty clear. Um, that's the oh, next up here. We have Harry. Harry writes. Hey, Buck, you speak about the federal budget and disregard for fiscal prudence. It is important to keep in mind how new speak has crept into the discussion. They talk about mandatory and discretionary spending when constitutionally pretty much everything that is now classified as discretionary is mandated by the U.S. Constitution, military, national security, post office, roads, custom patents, immigration, naturalization, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all that is considered mandatory. Uh, There are expenses that are added by various, mostly unconstitutional acts of Congress. Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, I believe this is important to keep in mind. Shields. Hi, Harry. All right, Harry. Thank you. Patrick writes, you mentioned Jason Isbell yesterday, not Isabel. He was a former member of the band Drive-By Truckers. His comment on guns is very hypocritical. I'll give you a short quip of their lyrics. Don't uh, blank off the boys from Alabama. You know they won't let it slide. They might find your body in the Tennessee River, or they might not find you at blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, A lot of people will say they're ashamed to have been... uh, They're ashamed Jason is from Alabama. Okay, Patrick. Thank you for sending this in. Appreciate it. Karen. You're talking yesterday about some of Trump's personal choices, uh, personnel, pardon me, personnel choices. It's a very different topic. Just found out that Betsy DeVos and James Mattis both were investors in Theranos. DeVos lost $100 million, only a small part of her wealth. But still, I listened to all the episodes of the Dropout podcast produced by ABC. Fascinating. Uh, Karen, a lot of very sophisticated and wealthy people lost a tremendous amount of money in that. Theranos debacle I believe uh, Rupert Murdoch lost over a hundred million dollars the person that for me in that whole situation comes out looking like he had the the worst judgment is uh, the former Secretary of State uh, Schultz George uh, Schultz just because he went against his own family he thought his grandson was the crazy one and Elizabeth Holmes was this magician who was going to change global uh, change global medicine. And I, I would just note that, you know, you, you look at Elizabeth Holmes, a video of her, I still don't understand. She must have some secret power that she can use with certain people because to me she always seemed like a crazy person who was putting on a character act and there's nothing – Confidence-inspiring or appealing about her, and yet everybody who was around her seemed to fall for this, or at least most of them did. It's just absolutely bizarre. Uh, so, yeah. Let's see. Katie. She writes something about a... Here we go. Uh, Today, Rush was talking about the cap- uh, political capital the media is raising with their reporting makes people feel helpless. So they say, what can we do? So the social justice warrior organizations say, "Give us money." After the ice rates here in Mississippi, uh, they are raising capital with things like the Mississippi Center for Justice. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people try to get their organizations' bottom line uh, looking better as soon as they have a news story that fits into a narrative that they can use. So I think that's very much the case. Uh, David. Hey, Buck, in a perfect world, wouldn't they just release the video from Epstein's cell? Instead, the powers that be have to take us on this wild media circus and all the giant uh, talking heads get involved and everybody attacks Trump. Keep up the great work, brother. Take care of Dave. Dave, uh, my understanding is they don't have a cell uh, camera. They didn't have them in, in the cells. They have them for entry and exit to the cells, but they don't actually have the person constantly under camera surveillance. I do believe that in reality TV shows, even they have cameras in the bedrooms, but they promise not to show any, any naughty stuff, but they don't have them in, in cells. So that's what we've been led to believe. There wasn't a camera malfunction. That was initially reported on the whole Epstein suicide. There was just the absence of camera recording inside the cell. So take that as you will. My friends, Angela, Angela. Hi, Buck. Shields high. Not surprised Jeff Epstein is dead. Can we ever go on offense? Seems like we're always defending. Did you read the article on the Baltimore cleanup? Are the Dems ever going to be truthful? Uh, Angela, I don't know if we're... I mean, I think Trump is the closest thing you're ever going to get to the right on going on offense. So if you don't feel like we're on offense now, you're going to have to wait a long time. And I did not see the Baltimore cleanup... uh, But I appreciate it's from the Washington Examiner. I see it here. I will take a look. Thank you for sending it my way. Case. Buck, I've been following this Epstein deal and from working in a jail system, a person doesn't get pulled off suicide watch. I wonder if the government will deal with these prison guards and prison officials like they did the jailers and county officials in Waller County, Texas, after Sandra Bland. Probably not. Thanks and keep up the good work. Shields high case, man. I've always thought that the sketchiest decision in the Epstein suicide was the the decision to take him off of suicide watch. I mean, if someone's already tried suicide, you're really going to say, oh, no, but that person's learned their lesson a week or two later. It just seems very strange. Very strange to me. Um, Oh. Gina, right. Hey, again, Buck, on Monday, you said Azar was the labor secretary who let Epstein off in the case. It was actually Acosta, right? Hate to hate to correct you. Maybe I stand corrected. Shields high. No, G- uh, Gina, you're correct. Sorry. It's it's Acosta. If I said Azar, I apologize. Acosta was the uh, U.S. attorney for Miami who let Epstein off initially. So, yep, there you there you have it. Benny writes, hey, Buck, when you were talking about the new movie, The Hunt, and you said it reminded you of another movie, you were, I knew you were going to say Ice-T, but you said Jean-Claude. I didn't see that one, but I could swear Ice-T was kidnapped and taken out in a wooded area and was hunted. Love your show and listen to you and Dan. Hope that's not considered heresy. Shields high. Benny. Well, Benny, no, absolutely, man. It's uh, Thank you for listening to me. Appreciate it. And, you know, I uh, am in in good company with Mr. Bongino there. And thank you uh, for writing in. Yeah, the the movie that you're referring to, everyone else has been talking about. um, I can't even remember what it's called right now, but we were talking about it earlier in the week. But yeah, the one that I've seen more is the Van Damme one. But Hunting Human Beings is not a new plot line. It's happened many, many times. And, in fact, if you look at the basic... Storyline. I mean, yeah, I know it's future and dystopia and all that, but even The Hunger Games, which I did not understand why anybody thought that that was a good movie, but people did. Uh, yeah. Hunting humans. Leonard writes, on the hills have eyes. The first and only time I watched that movie was 2006 while I was at officer candidate school. We had just completed our final field exercise and were allowed to watch TV for the first time in about three months while we cleaned our weapons and equipment. The ready room was well lit and the audience was about half new guys to the army and half hardened veterans, former NCOs, almost all of whom had deployed in the GWAT, including me. It was like a scene from mystery science theater 3000 as the group found more and more outlandish ways to parody the violence on scene. It is one on screen. Rather. It is one of the best OCS memories I have. All right, Leonard. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed watching that. Uh, At least under the circumstances, sounds like you managed to get something out of the situation. So there is that. Uh, Valerie writes, Buck, your show keeps me safe and warm at night. Thank you. It's awesome. Well, Valerie, that's the perfect way for us to settle things down here in the Freedom Hunt today. That's a great message to close on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Like I said, we will be out of New York City And, wow, it'll be less than two weeks now. So, yeah, my last days in the swamp. If you have any swamp requests, if you want to see video of Buck in a mankini going down the National Mall en route to the Jefferson Memorial, waving American flags in both hands eating a cheeseburger while he has hands holding flat. I'm just trying to think of something crazy, folks. I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, my last few days in the swamp coming up here, so I got that going for me, which is nice. Um, Please do tell somebody about the Buck Saxton show. Best thing you can do for me. Most helpful thing you can do for Team Buck. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Shields high.